I, I want to ask you a question. And, uh, and the question goes like this. How ready are you to understand the world differently than you do right now? So this morning, I, I saw this uh, Friday, um, and some of you may or may not know that I've been having a long-running argument with Paisley. Do, do you know Paisley's? Do you know what the argument is? That rhinoceroses are unicorns or fat and gray. And Paisley says, no, that is not the case. Just want you to know. That is not the case, Paisley says, that in fact rhinoceroses' uh, horns are not on their heads. And I would say, that's not true. Rhinoceros' horns are on their nose, which is on their heads. And we're having this argument. But the question is, is if you didn't see this part, how would you know that this was not a purple rhinoceros? Because the body shape is correct for a rhinoceros, yes? The legs are not correct for a horse, right? So how ready are you to understand your world in a different way than you currently understand it? I'm just asking the question, because today, as we, as we come into a text, which, by the way, has been one of the most famous, it's called the 10th Test of Abraham, it's called the Binding of Isaac, the Akidah in Hebrew, or the Sacrifice of Isaac in uh, Christian tradition, which is strange because he doesn't actually get sacrificed. So why would we call it the Sacrifice of Isaac? And I've preached this text over and over this way, that in order to change your world, that in order to change Abraham, God talked in such a way that he removed child sacrifice off the table. And in order to do that, he did it this way. He interrupted the process, what we would call a watershed moment in Christianity or in the in the practice of the Hebrew faith. And you'd say, wait, they didn't ever practice child sacrifice. No, that's not true. There was child sacrifice practiced in the Middle East, and Abraham, remember, was really pretty indistinguishable from the countryside and the people that he started as. And they practiced child sacrifice. And we, from this side of the argument, would often say something like this. Are you ready? Well, that's so abhorrent, how evil that Abraham would obey God and take his son out there to do that. That's us living on the other side of this moment. In the same way, I've used this example multiple times, I'll just keep doing this, that an eye for an eye, we think often is very harsh. But when it's given to those people, it's a limit. It's saying, you cannot, be, you cannot be overzealous in your retribution. You can only go as far as what's been done to you. You can't go further. We think, well, it's permission. I get to take an eye for an eye. No, that's not what that text says. What that text says is you cannot do more than that. You don't have to do it, but if you do decide to have retribution, you can't go further. Now, that has changed the world. That is a watershed moment, if you will, for humanity and the world that 
now we think that limit, which was mercy when it was given, it sounds harsh to us. Doesn't it? Why would you take an eye for an eye? Well, before that happens, there's a guy in the Bible that says, well, they, they killed, whoever kills me, we're, we're going to kill seven members of their family. Right? So it's a limit. So what kind of talk, what kind of activity, what kind of lens do we need to look through in order to understand a watershed moment for society where a change actually happens? Do you know this watershed moment? When Jonah is on a boat in a storm, everybody in the boat is going, what should we throw over to appease the gods? Because we do that now when we're on a sailing boat, when we get on, when we get on a the state ferry system in our car and it's a little thing we think, who should we throw over to make the seas call? No, we don't. We've had a watershed moment. And in fact, Jonah says, throw me over. I've made my God angry. And by doing that, we'll change that. But because of Jonah, we don't really do that anymore. Actually, I would say it's because Jesus, asleep in the, in the boat, like Jonah was, so when Jesus is in the storm and everybody's in there going, ah, we're dying, like this, and Jesus and Jonah are both, in a, you're supposed to see Jesus as changing the Jonah story when Jesus is in a storm. And they say, don't you care that we're perishing, Jesus? And he, he says, peace be still. You don't have to sacrifice, you don't have to throw things overboard. That's not how peace and calm comes into your life. Peace and calm comes into your life by the word of God and his will. Do you see how that's a watershed moment in there that changes? Because now we don't throw people overboard in boats during storms. Thank God. Thank God for that. And I would say that the Jewish tradition for 400 years didn't sacrifice kids for 400 years after this moment of the text I'm going to read today. Now, they did later as other traditions come in, and you have heard me say this, that when you marry into a family, you get their holiday traditions. And when the Jews married into the people of the land, they got their traditions, their religious traditions, and some of that was child sacrifice. And you're saying, wait, 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 I don't know anything about that. That's right, because the Bible speaks euphemistically about it. Remember, you may have read Kings, first and second Kings, and they'll, when the king dies, they'll say, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he caused his children to pass through the fire. That's child sacrifice. Oh. See, because the kings had remarried into the families, and then, of course, you get all the traditions in the same way that my family's Christmas traditions and Karen's family's Christmas traditions are different. And, in fact, she didn't grow up in a United Methodist church. She grew up in a Nazarene church, which said no dancing, no cards, no like this. And so, in some ways, I have some of those traditions now. Our kids were sort of raised with a man. But that's not what I really want to talk about today. I, I know we've, we're just talking about watershed moments in culture, 
But what about a watershed moment in the individual life of Abraham? That's what we're going to talk about today and what that means for you. Okay, so let's turn this. This is in Genesis 22, 1 through 19. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. And you might say to yourself, what, God tests faith? Yes, God tests faith. He's tempering your faith. That's a metallurgy description to make the metal proper for the use it's going to have. You temper it hard for some uses or soft for other uses. You might glue back the spine of a knife or something like that to give it some shock absorption and things like that. But you test and temper. But if you temper it wrongly, it will break in a later use. We call that tempting, where, we where we're tempted to do something and we fall and we're broken. But if we go through the testing properly, we are tempered and stronger. And somebody might say to you, what happened in your life that you're able to take that moment? The things that used to trip you up don't trip you up anymore. You've been tempered for the use of the day. Here we are. Yes, here I am, Abraham said in replies to God's call. Take your son, your only son. And this one, and our, and our pew Bible changes the order in the Hebrew from the one you love, Isaac. And so what, I, what I'm trying to say is this. I want to make sure that you get this thing. God says, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, and then names him at the end. And I want to say this just for a second, but that's sort of, I, I want to ask you this question. Doesn't Abraham have another son, Ishmael? Yes, but there's one that Abraham is living his entire life through at the moment, and that is Isaac. Have you ever seen a parent live their life through their kids? Sporting events? <laughs> okay, so you know I've coached wrestling and all this, and I've seen parents live their life through their, their child who's wrestling and be thrown out of the tournaments because they're so unreasonable about how this thing, and their son has to be treated this way or their daughter has to be treated this way. Yes, I've seen girls wrestle too. But what I'm saying is, is that in this case, this is worshiping the life of the kid. And there's something clearly going on in Abraham. You know, he's been waiting a long time for the son, but the way they do this is take your son, the only one, the one that you love, and then finally name him, Isaac. Take your little idolatry. By the way, idolatry comes in all shapes and sizes. It does. Anything that you worship that is not God is an idol. It might be your kid. It might be your grandkids. It might be your dad or your mom or some member of your family. It might be your job. It might be something God gave you. It might be, in my case, now you would know that I coach wrestling, but there was a time in my life where there was only one thing that defined me. Athletics. I was an athlete. That's what I was. Nothing else mattered. Everything was tuned to that moment. 
Now I'm not that way now. I hope you know that, right? You know that there's something else in my life. There's the word of God. There's, there's activity in the community. There's that sort of stuff. Do you know what it took to change me from athletic only to something else? Well, since I wasn't willing to give it up on my own, it was catastrophically taken from me. That's the way I can explain that the best. But I'm slow to learn, as some of you might be, and I suddenly switched and defined myself as an artist. Not, not as God's child, not as anything else, but I became this other thing. And I want to ask you this question that this is being asked of Abraham. Will you take the thing that you love and define your life with and be willing to let it go? Will you? Have you? Have you been asked to give up something that you defined as your soul life experience and say, no, I'm God's, and I might still do that. Now, I'm going to tell you that I did that with art as well. And some of you have heard the story of me moving to become a pastor and putting 200 paintings on a table saw and getting rid of them and saying goodbye. Now, the last little piece and shred of that was just recently. My mom's been painting, which is lovely. She's 90, and she's been learning how to paint. And I took the last little shred of my art idolatry, which was this, um, this, this roll of bamboo that rolls out like this, and it had all these sable brushes in it. Okay, you don't buy sable brushes anymore, but I still had them. They're, they were $60 a piece in 1980 and things like that. And they were rolled up in this thing, and I gave them to my mom to use instead of me storing them for another 20 years of not use. But it's a little bit of an idol. Would you, do you understand what I'm saying? This, that this is me hanging on to this part of my life. And you might know me as an artist, too. I am. That's part of my story but it's not the definition. Abraham's defined right now. He has defined himself, I'm going to tell you right now. He is defined as, in his own mind as Isaac's dad. So let's read the story. This is... As we go here, so the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. Mount Moriah is the place. And on the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will be right then we will come back. So Abraham placed the wood and the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he carried the knife and, and the fire with him. And the two of them walked together. And Isaac turned to his father Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. 
Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. Now, I need to do something here because we've been talking about um, progressive revelation, about how God has been showing more and more of who he is. And what we have right now in this paragraph is a brand new name for God. Now, you might know this name is Jehovah Jireh, God, my provider. This is the first location of that. Only in this case, because they don't have Jehovah yet, they have Elohim. It says Elohim Yireh, right here. A new name. So, so what we have earlier in Genesis is we have Elohim, God, and then we have Adonai, the Lord, and then we have um, Adon or Ad the Lord up high, Elohim, and then Adonai, the Lord in charge. So the Lord Most High, the Lord in charge. And then with the Rahab, Rahab story, we have the Lord who sees and hears us. So the picture of God at this point in time is God up high who sees us and hears us and knows you. But now this is, this is a moment of relationship. This is the God who provides for you. Do you see that progression? It's not just up in up. It's not just God in heaven. It's not just God on the throne. It's not just God who orders the universe. It's not just God who sees from His throne. It's not just God who hears from His throne. It's now God who provides where you're at. Jehovah Jireh, although Elohim Jireh, in this text, it's the first location, and it happened before the test was passed. New revelation. God is showing himself new in the midst of the test. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged it, and then he tied Akidah, his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar in the top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to do just exactly what people in that society were doing. The question is, are you going to be like society, or are you going to be like the Lord's? Now, Abraham thinks for a second, because I want to make sure that you hear this really clearly. Some of the commentaries literally say, Abraham should have not listened to God here. He should not have obeyed. It's an ethics problem for us on this side of the change. But in his world, this is standard, ordinary operating procedure. Do you, do you see the difference? That we, we judge from a distance going, well, that ethical standard is bad. And in fact, there's all sorts of stuff out here. If we go to Leviticus, this is Leviticus 18. This was in my stuff. Do not permit any of your children to be offered as a sacrifice to Molech or in the original language. Don't allow your children to pass through the fire. So they're using this language that comes up in the histories later. For you must not bring shame on the name of the Lord your God. That's not the words there. The words there are, for if you do, I will spit you out. Do you know that language from somewhere? If we go to the end of the book in the letter to Laodicea, 
Do you remember the book, Letter to Laodicea? You're neither hot nor cold. I'm going to spit you out. You just look like the world around you. You've reached the common temperature of the land around you. You're exactly like everything around you. You're not hot or cold. You didn't receive heat. You're not refreshing. You're not healing. You just look like the world. And so we go back to Genesis 22. Abraham, the Lord called out. Yes, here I am. By the way, here I am. This is the fourth time this language is used. The Lord says, take Abraham, take your son. God called Abraham. Here I am. Take your son. Isaac says, Father, here I am. Abraham, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear me. I think God already knew that, but he needed Abraham to know it too. You have not withheld from me, even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram in the thick, caught by its horns in the thick. Abraham named the place. Uh, it says here, Yahweh Yaira, or Jehovah Jireh, but they didn't know the name of Jehovah yet. In the, in the Hebrew it says, Elohim Yaira. He named the place Yaira, the Lord will provide. I want to ask you this question. Are you willing and ready? Are you able and ready to, to, to understand the thing that defines you, that you, that little spot where you hold yourself back from the Lord? Are you willing to let him be the Lord of that spot? And I need to point this out just really quickly in my own life and in Abraham's life. Did you notice that Abraham didn't hold back Isaac, but didn't lose Isaac either? Do you understand what I'm saying? Isaac wasn't killed. Isaac is alive. Abraham didn't hold him back, but didn't lose him. I still have some athletic ability, meager as it might be. I still have artistic expression in my life. But he's in charge of those areas. And I will not hold them back. Will you let that watershed moment in your life, will you hold back? What's the little dark corner, the story that you just don't tell anybody else or that you don't read out loud to anybody else, right? Because we all have those spots, don't we? That little part of your story you don't tell anybody else. Will you hold that spot back from the Lord? Please don't. Submit it to him. Submit to him. And he will hold back. He, is, he will not hold back the storehouses of heaven from you. He is your provider. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for today, for your love, for the way that you take care of us, for the way that you 
Temper us for the use at hand. Move in our lives and move in our hearts and cause us to be your people and your people alone. Amen. Amen. Amen.